symptom of dehydration is thirst. Thirst. It's a desire to drink some water. Like I have right now. And uh, what happens? When more water leaves your body than comes in, you get dehydrated. You get thirsty. And some of the first symptoms of dehydration after thirst, you get irritable. You get confused. You, di- you get discomfort. You feel a little weak. Then it can go a little bit more serious. You get lost in a desert somewhere. You're going to have rapid breathing. Your blood pressure is going to go down. You could even faint. If you keep going, you're going to get uh, even, you're going to see hallucinations. You're going to have delirium. You can even have seizures, unconsciousness. And ultimately, if you don't drink water, you what? You die. But what is it about, what is spiritual thirst? What does it really look like to have spiritual thirst? Because the interesting thing about spiritual thirst is we can be thirsty without even knowing that we need to drink something. And in the Old Testament, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, God warned before He sent Israel into exile, He said that you have forsaken the fountains of living water to dig your own wells and drink your own water. You've, you've been your own resource, and you've looked to other things to be your spiritual thirst, to quench your spiritual thirst, but you've forsaken me. I'm the fountain of living water. And they didn't heed his word, and they went off to exile to where he would send them into another season of wilderness in their life that they might understand and know that God is their source of life. And God's our source of life today. And so, what does it look like to be spiritually thirsty? Like dehydration, there's all kinds of levels of severity. And so when we leave God as our source, our supply, our, our, our water, we think, and we think about it and we look at things like this. At first, you're going to make it a little bit on your own. You can go a little while. I'm really bad about drinking water. I don't drink enough water. And sometimes I'll realize I didn't drink water for breakfast or anything for breakfast. I didn't drink anything for lunch. And then at the end of the day, I'm like guzzling sweet tea because I haven't drank anything all day. It's something, I don't know, I've always been that way. But you can make it a little while on your own, spiritually. But then after a while, it's just like dehydration. Dehydration, you're going to run on empty. You're going to go from one thing to the next. People in the world today are going from one thing to the next to satisfy. might be friend to friend. might be job to job. It might be uh, material possession to material possession. Relationship to relationship. Some go so far to find happiness or their supply in drugs or alcohol or pornography. But you're never, ever quenched. You're never, ever full. You lack joy. Eventually, you'll get exhausted on the inside, feeble, barely surviving, eventually finding out you have no strength left. And you realize in that moment that you are slowly dying on the inside. Anybody ever been there before? You get to that place where you realize there's something going on in my life. My life is falling apart, and then it hits you. I'm captive by sin, and nothing I can do can solve it. I can't find any water in the place that I'm at. I'm in a wilderness season of my life, captive by sin, held by its consequences, and I need God. I need God. I don't go throughout my life just thinking I need water. I don't, I don't, you don't wake up in the morning and just think I need water, but you sure know after you haven't drank anything all day that it's there. And sometimes I think that's how it is with us as Christians. We go throughout our life doing our normal routine and we forget some of the basic things, the most basic thing to keep us going to be spiritually healthy is the Holy Spirit of God to be the center, the source of my life. That's what we're talking about this morning. 
If you give yourself to the will of God and give yourself over to God in that season of our lives and remember God. Isaiah 58 verse 11 says, The Lord will continually guide you. He will satisfy your desire in those scorched places of your life. He'll give strength to your bones. and You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. So we're asking ourselves this morning, am I drinking from another source? Do I want spiritual blessings and do I want eternal satisfaction? Because I'm going to tell you today that those of us that feel a strong need, that strong need for Jesus Christ, that strong need to remain in the presence of the Holy Spirit, keeping Him as our source, He's going to take us to a place of overflow. And I want to go there. I want to go to a place of overflow with God where it's not just getting by, it's not just... Uh, meeting the daily recommendations. I want to go to a place where I am drenched in the presence of God, overtaken by the presence of God, and not just just taking a sip, not just you know having a meal and drinking some water with it. I want to just be overwhelmed and jump in the swimming pool of God's presence. Amen? Amen. And so let's look at John chapter 7 today. Kind of give you the background, the settings of John chapter 7 it's really cool. We're gonna, if you got your notes today, you're going to want to take some notes because there's some things I'm going to pull out today that aren't in Scripture. They're going to give you an, an awareness, an awakening to what Jesus is really saying here in John chapter 7. And so here we find Jesus in John chapter 7, and the Jews are trying to kill him. And in, uh, he has left ministry in Judea, which is the area of Jerusalem, and he's gone to Galilee, but there's a feast coming called the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. We would call it the Feast of Tents, if we were going to use American language today. And so, it's a, one of the great pilgrimage festivals of, of Israel. All the people in the whole nation, uh, male, all the males are supposed to come and celebrate this festival in Jerusalem. And so, Jesus is preparing, but yet people are seeking to kill Him, so He secretly is going to go to this festival uh, and secretly show up without anybody knowing. And that's kind of where we are in John chapter 7. But I'm going to give you a little bit of background about this feast. It's an eight-day feast from the Old Testament. It happens at the fall, uh, grape harvest. And people would dwell in booths. They would make up palm branches uh, uh, above them and kind of put up a little shack or a tent, and they would sleep in them for that eight days in Jerusalem. And they would celebrate, and the day was, the point of this was to not only celebrate God's thanksgiving of this end harvest, this last of the year harvest, this end time harvest, uh, but to thank God for His provision, but it also uh, reminded them of when God provided for them in the wilderness, uh, in that very, very dry and barren place, God had provided a few things. He had provided water out of a rock on the mountain of God which was a Mount Horeb, or you could call it Mount Sinai. It was the mountain of God. And he had provided uh, that pillar of fire to show them where to go. And so they're remembering these things, and uh, there was this pool. And in Jesus' day, uh, it was a pool of uh, Siloam. And this was a little pool that was uh, in the city of David, and it was uh, resourced uh, by a spring, an underground spring that flowed and supplied Jerusalem. And uh, this spring, Hezekiah built it, and it was a uh, kind of a symbolic place, a very sacred place. But 
uh, the priest would come and he would get a pot or a little cup. And part of the ceremony that they adopted in Jesus' day after the exiles, it was new to the first century, they would come to this pool. Uh, it was a pretty big pool, a pretty deep pool. They would dip from this water and they would go back up to the temple and pour this water on the altar. And it was to remember how God had provided water out of the rock. It was miracle water. It was to remind them of God's provision of water in a dry and barren land. And thanksgiving, because God has provided the rains this year and given us a harvest. Well, all of this stuff that God had made was prophetic. It was from Zechariah chapter 14, and it was to foresee a latter-day rain, a latter-day harvest, an end-time spiritual harvest where God would then out of the rock of God, out of the hard place of God, the presence of God would come out, and God would come down, and He would split the Mount of Olives. When Jerusalem was uh, coming against their enemies, the Messiah would come. He would split the Mount of Olives. He would separate it out. And from the presence of God, from the temple of God, would gush forth a spring of life-giving water to the nations, and God's presence would be over everything. And that's all what this, this celebration was about. And so here we find... Jesus, watching this happen, watching them go to this pool that was filled by this underground spring, pour it upon the altar, then they would come, and then they would light lamps at nighttime. They would light lamps at night to represent God's guiding presence as they were making their way through that dry land to remember His pillar of fire. So this latter rain the presence of God guiding them in their wandering, and this final end-time harvest. That's kind of where we see this setting of John chapter 7. And people have begun to ask, is this guy really the Messiah? The whole city was stirred. They were discussing and murmuring in the corners who he was, but nobody really wanted to come out and say anything for fear of persecution. And then we find Jesus this after this eight day and on the eighth day of this festival everybody would come together for a big joyous celebration to watch them dip this pool of water and take it to the altar and here we find Jesus and he look at here in John chapter 7 verse 37 it says this on that last day the great day of the feast Jesus stood and cried out saying if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But verse 39 says, But he spoke this of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's break this down a little bit this morning and talk about the source, the flow, and the overflow of what Jesus was saying. Number one is the source. He's saying, out of. Out of what? This presence, this, this water, when they remember the Old Testament, it had flowed out of the rock of God, out of the mountain of God. And Jesus was now saying, what once was on the outside, what was once something physical, something natural, it was a miracle of God, and you saw it flowing on the outside, but now this is going to flow on the inside of you. It came out of the rock. And we know that the Bible says that Jesus is the rock. And so Jesus, out of Jesus, this whole rock with Moses thing, when Moses uh, struck the rock and water came out, it was symbolic and prophetic to say that out of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit would come. 
and it would quench the thirst of you. And when you were in your dry and barren land, when you were in a wilderness time, wandering away from God, not sure where you're going, God was always there to provide you something that was life-giving, that was miraculous, that was supernatural. And so he says, what was once the source on the outside is now going to be the source on the inside. It's going to be a new day in salvation history where before it was only certain men of God, certain mighty men of God that could even have the Holy Spirit. They could even go into the presence of God. But now, every single person is going to have access to God on the inside. It's going to be something life-giving that flows from within. And if you look back in John 4, Jesus had already set the stage for this with the Samaritan woman. He told her, he said, I'm going to provide you with living water. And he says, John chapter 4, verse 10 and 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. It's awesome to me. One, I never lived in a time where I couldn't feel the presence of God every day. I never lived in a time where I could not come to church and and feel the presence of God. But Jesus provides it for us. Church, this is so miraculous. This is so uh, new to the day that we live in, to the age of humanity, to the existence of man, that For in this season that we could be so blessed that I could have year-round, 24 hours a day, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, connection with God Almighty. That is a privilege and an honor and not something to be taken for granted because he says he is where it all begins and he provides year-round, unsurpassed life and fruitfulness. And he says, come and drink. You know, literally, if you look at the Greek, it says, Keep coming and keep drinking. Those who would keep coming to me and keep drinking of me out of. And so Jesus, we know, is the sender of the Holy Spirit. He says, come. He's got this free offer. And and John, he says, uh, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be filled. And he who believes in me will never thirst. And then he says, come to me. I've got this free offer. Now drink. That means to be continually filled with with the presence of God, to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. We remember uh, Pentecostal preachers preach this verse a lot, Ephesians chapter 5, that says, don't be drunk uh, on alcohol, which is debauchery, which is bad things, but instead be continually filled with the presence of God. It's that we have to get to a place in our life where I need God so much every day that the Holy Spirit, be, I just drink so much of the Holy Spirit that it begins to affect the way I think, act, and do, the way I feel, the way I walk, the way I talk. And he's saying, come continually to me. You know, the awesome thing about Jesus is that he brings people out of ruin. And Isaiah said he would take them from ruin and captivity. He'd rebuild their lives. He would encourage the exhausted. He would strengthen the feeble. He would cause rejoicing and shouts of joy. And I kind of wonder... If we come into a place in church and we don't see that, man, he, he, that Jesus, if, if people have Jesus, he causes shouts of joy and rejoicing. If people have Jesus, he causes new life, he causes abundance, he causes a wellspring. But then if you come to church and you, you don't see it, then what do I have to conclude? We don't got it, Right? So many churches in America say they have Jesus. So many Christians in America say they have Jesus. But the Bible says those that have Jesus will have a wellspring of life 
coming out of them. There will be shouts of joy. There will be exuberance. There will be life-giving. There will be something on the inside that no one else can even measure because they've met Him and are continually partaking of Him. And so church is not a cheerleading competition. Church is not an emotional push to sing louder songs than the church down the road or to have better worship than church. It's supposed to be where people together have this natural, already occurring, uh, spirit-filled exuberance because I have met Jesus. I was now once dead, but now I am alive. So we should just naturally act. I don't have to. I can't make you act alive. I can't make me act alive. I can't make me feel joyful. All right? I can't think myself into enough cycles to where I forget all the bad things that happened in my life, go sit on a psychologist's couch for $100 an hour, and make myself feel joyful. It ain't going to work. Only by drinking and partaking continually of Jesus' life-giving spirit can I get to that place. And I think sometimes we, we go through life and we, we come to church and it's like, it's like the water's always there. But I'm so busy drinking my Dr. Pepper that I don't ever drink it. I found my other better tasting drink because everybody knows Dr. Pepper tastes better than water. Okay, Pepsi for some of you or Mountain Dew, Coke, whatever y'all drink around here, right? Is Jesus enough? Maybe that's really what I'm asking today. Is Jesus enough to give you joy? Is Jesus enough to fix your life? Is Jesus enough for you that you can just come in no matter how you feel and have joy? No matter what situation comes in your life, that it says that that's who He is. And I'm not... We can't organize a move of God, church. I can't manipulate a move of God. It just happens in you when you get Jesus. It happens in people naturally when they start drinking of His Spirit. And that's what He's saying today. Are you really living? Is Jesus your source of life? And is your life built upon the rock wherein is the wellspring of life? Jesus in the rock, and out of the rock comes the Holy Spirit, comes the life-giving water, just like it did in the wilderness, so it is today prophetically and spiritually in your life. And from the source comes the flow. From the source comes the flow. Where is the Spirit flowing in your life today? And what is your life and my life producing? It says, if you'll keep coming to me and keep drinking from me out of you, your what? Some of your translations probably say your belly. That's one of the few words my daughter likes to say all the time. Belly, right? I don't know why, just the way it is. But you know what belly means in the Greek? It means your innermost being. It's the deepest part of you. It's the center of your emotions, your thoughts, your desires, your needs. It's the depth of your soul. If I could take your, ho- your soul, and if it was a house, okay, and I could go into your house, I could go into your closet, I could go to that little junk area in the very deep back part of your closet you don't want anybody to know about, or I could go in your kitchen and find that drawer that's got all the junk in it. It's the deepest part of that, right? It's under the si- uh, kitchen sink to the very back corner where you never touch and never look. It's the deepest part of your house... And that's where the Holy Spirit will begin to flow if you keep drinking. 
to the depths of your soul. That's what it means. Out of, if you keep coming to me and you keep drinking from me, out of you, which was once you could only see on the outside, from the inside of you to the depth of your very soul, to the deepest part of your emotions, your desires, your history, your feelings, what you know or don't know, from the depths of you will begin to flow something that when you're weak, when you're tired, when you're irritable, it's only the Holy Spirit that's going to come out of you. Tell you what, when I get tired and cranky, it's not the Holy Spirit that always comes out of me. When you get weak, when you get down, when you get out, what comes out of you? What comes out of me? Is it the Holy Spirit? You know, is it like, oh, thank you, Jesus, I just had my car go flat and my car broke down and my house is on fire? You know, like, no, we're going to be freaking out, we're going to be panicking, we're going to be mad, we're going to be upset. But Jesus says, if you keep drinking and keep coming from the depths of of your character, from the depths of your feelings, from the depths of your actions, from the depths of any place in your mind, the Holy Spirit will just come naturally out of you. But what does it take? It means that I have to surrender all to Jesus. It's a great old song. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. It means my whole being. And what happens is that when I surrender my whole being, my thoughts, my feelings, my actions, what was done to me in the past, what will be done to me in the future, what I have, what I don't have, I surrender all to Jesus. My whole being, my feelings, my emotions, my knowledge, my opinions, my personality, my finances, my family, my marriage, my kids, I surrender all to Him. He gives me a holy heart and a holy mind. And what comes out, he says, will be living water. You know what living water is? It's moving water. Really, uh, it means spring water. There's a spring behind my house called White Sulphur Spring. It's not a spring I want to be bathing in or drinking of. But Jesus' spring, he says, is a spring of water that living water is constantly running and it's fast moving. You know, the Holy Spirit is always active. He never stops. He never sleeps. He's always looking for people who are hungry for Him. He's always looking for people who want to know Jesus. And He's the drawer of men to Christ. He's always moving. He's alive on the inside. And and maybe if the Holy Spirit is always moving, but I don't feel it, maybe there's something damning up my heart. Maybe there's some sin that's stopping the way. Maybe there's some understanding. Maybe there's some tiredness, some weakness. There are things in my life, the way I'm organizing my priorities, the way that I'm thinking about life, the way I'm thinking about my finances or thinking about myself, that if the Holy Spirit is always moving, always active, always living, always in motion, that I should be one of the most freeing people on the face of the earth. We should be some of the most free people on the face of the earth because we are always moving with the Spirit, always active and engaged with the Spirit. And that's the lifestyle that Jesus is talking about. Is the Holy Spirit active and alive in your life, in my life? Or am I a little stagnant? I'll give you some background. This pool of Siloam that they went to, they would come to this pool, and like I said, I think it was like 95 feet long, 15 feet deep or something like that. It was huge. And this spring that fed it was an old spring that was the spring that fed the city of Jerusalem. But let me look at the name. It's called the Gihon Spring, okay? And it fed ancient Jerusalem. It's the only reason they could have a city there. 
But you know that spring is one of the most largest intermittent springs in the world, which means it doesn't keep flowing. I think in uh, uh, the dry season, it pulsates out of the rocks at irregular intervals, and twice a day in the dry season, four to five times a day in the rainy season. Out of this rock, it pulsates. A couple times a day, it provides water to the city. The source of life is this spring, but it's not continual. And they were, here's Jesus. Can you imagine? At the last best day of the festival, secretly he's been hiding, but in that right moment, he steps out of the crowd, and he cry, he's crying, and he shouts out, and he sees this picture. He sees this religious festival, all religion. And he sees this physical water, this physical pool. And he sees these hypocritical priests come and take their physical bowl, dip it into this spring water, which is not continual, trying to give people life. And he sees these hypocritical priests in this religious ceremony go to this altar, which is only symbolic of the altar of God that we all have to make before ourselves. And they pour out this physical water. And there Jesus is, and he stands up in that place of people who are in religion, who are dead to the Spirit of God, who are only drinking of partial water that's not even continual. And he says, if you come to me and keep drinking from me, my water doesn't end. It is continual. It is every day, all the time. And it's not just a physical water, but it's something that's life-giving. And he says, I am the answer that you're looking for. I'm the reason for this festival. I'm the reason that God provided you through the wilderness. I am the one that gave you water from that time with Moses. I, the Holy Spirit, am the one who have guided you. I'm the one that quenches your thirst, and I never stop flowing. Man, powerful what he is speaking on that day and standing up, and he's crying when he says it. Can you imagine Jesus seeing these people lost in religion, finding their own wellspring of life, trying to dig their own wells and supply their own needs and be their own source? Not much has changed today. I have to ask myself, Heath, are you drinking of the Holy Spirit? Am I getting by on my own energy, on my own works, and my concern with my own life, and my own job, and my own duties, and my own family, and my own yard, and my own cars, and all the things that life tells us, this is what you need to supply yourself. This is what you need to get by in life. Or am I continually getting on my knees and saying, Jesus, I'm continuing to come to you because you are my supernatural spring water. You are my source. You're my abundance, and you never run dry. Because what happens is that Jerusalem was in a desert, and the cities in the desert had to be supplied by a spring. You couldn't have a city in a desert without a spring, just like Jerusalem. Couldn't have been Jerusalem without this spring. But God is providing a better way. And in these springs, you go to this desert, we call them oasis today. Those are fruitful areas. Fruitful areas are where springs exist. Catch that today spiritually. Fruitful people are where the Holy Spirit exists. Fruitful springs are oases in desert lands. And if you're in an oasis, this, this world today is a desert. 
It is a place of death and destruction where people are lost and they don't know what they're seeing anymore. They're seeing mirages at all the places and thinking they can find real water. They're not even drinking water. They're actually drinking sand. But where Jesus and the Holy Spirit are out of the rock comes the Holy Spirit. And for those who would drink of His water, they live in an oasis in a dry and barren land. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives us fruitfulness. He produces in you and I, out of us, He produces the character of Christ, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What would happen if a whole church looked like that? What would happen if my life had love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control? Self-control. What if, what if, are we fruitful? One author says it this way, he says, Just as water satisfies thirst and produces fruitfulness, so the Spirit of God satisfies the inner person and enables us to bear fruit. At this feast, the Jews were reenacting a tradition that could never satisfy the heart nor produce true life change. The Bible says the Spirit of God, prophetically in Isaiah, would make our lives blossom and make our lives sprout. And those who surrender their whole self to God, mind, body, soul, and strength, will have an unhindered flow, an unstopping flow that fills you up. I want to be a part of the flow of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is my source, but I want to be in the flow. I don't want to just come and drink a little bit on Sunday morning. I don't want to just come and drink enough just to get by throughout the week. I want to be lost in the flow so much that my life is overflowing. Amen? Overflowing, the immersion of God. I want to be immersed in the presence of God to where it's like you see these floods where it's just a little bit. I live next to Trout Creek, and you can go there when it's not raining at all, and it's just a nice creek you can walk in. But I tell you what, within 30 minutes of it raining in any amount, that creek is 10, 20, sometimes 30 feet deep. And it's like you could sit there, and in a moment, it would just be a flood. And that creek begins to overflow its banks when the rain is poured out. And Jesus said in these last days, there would be a latter rain, a last day's rain for a spiritual harvest, that the Holy Spirit would overflow its banks. People would get lost and immersed in the presence of God. Talk about baptized in the Holy Spirit. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 33. I will pour out my water on the thirsty land and streams of the dry ground. I'll pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. We know Joel chapter 2. God said, I would pour out my spirit in those last days on mankind, a day when people would call upon the Lord and be saved. It would be a prophetic revival. Male and female, young and old, would receive these prophetic giftings of the Holy Spirit, dreams and visions. It would be a day when the latter rains would come and the banks would then overflow. People who want to get in the overflow, they'll have to get in the river. It's a choice. You want to be in the overflow, got to put on your swimming trunks, and get in the river. you got to get in the immersion of God. This verse, it says, John says, he says, Jesus was speaking of this, of something that would happen when he ascended. We know that in John, right before he ascended, 
Jesus told, tells them in John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22, he says, uh, he breathes on them the Holy Spirit, and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. But Luke tells us that after he did that, so I believe this is what happened. Jesus, he shows them his nails, his, his scars on his side, nails in his hand. He shows them and reveals them and opens to them the words of God. He opens them to all the Old Testament prophecies about himself, and he breathes on them in John chapter 20 and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. I believe in that moment they realized who Jesus was. The Holy Spirit came inside of them, and they were saved. When you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you because you believe in the rock. The rock is inside of you, and out of him flows the Holy Spirit. But Luke tells us after that he did this, he said, Wait. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father, which will be upon you, and you're to stay into the city until you're clothed with power from on high. It's a different type of words. He breathed on them, and, and since the breath came in them of new life, but he says, I'm going to send something upon you. And every time in Acts, when it talks about the Holy Spirit, the Greek word is upon. It's immersion. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 5 and 8, he says, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You see, there's a depth. And I don't know what, our, what your tradition or your denomination would tell you about what God what the level of the Holy Spirit is. And it's not about levels. It's not about putting God in a box. It's not about saying there's initial and after experiences of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says there's a continual drinking. And if you have the Holy Spirit, keep drinking, and He's going to keep coming upon you. He's going to keep filling you. And He's going to take you to a place of depth. And the Bible is, is, doesn't set all these doctrines that all these denominations do. And, and trust me, I'm, I believe in denomination. But what it really is saying, Luke could not even imagine a people, a church, that would not get drenched in the Holy Spirit. It was just something that you did. Once you met Jesus, you just want to get in the flow. Once you get in the flow, you want to get into the overflow. And it was a depth and a power that would come when you kept drinking and you kept waiting on the Holy Spirit. He says that you have the Holy Spirit now, but you can be baptized with a flow that will come upon you. You know the word baptized is a water phrase. Talking about water today. Baptized. What, is, what happens when you get baptized? You get immersed. You get taken over by the water. How many people want to be taken over by the Holy Spirit? Overtaken by the Holy Spirit. That's what it really means. To be overtaken by the Holy Spirit. It says, upon you. You know, every, and if you look in the Old Testament today and you look up upon, every time mighty men of God, almost every time mighty men of God in the Old Testament from Moses to Gideon to the prophets, even Jesus, it says that the Holy Spirit came upon them and anointed them. It came upon them. It overtook them. Doesn't just The Holy Spirit not only gives us new life, but He gives us spiritual power that comes upon us. It's not enough in my life. I don't just want to be born again, but I want to be taken over by the Spirit of God. I don't just want to just be saved. I want to be saved. I want to be filled. I want to be lost in the presence of God, not just have a Sunday morning kind of Christianity or, or Jesus is my T-shirt kind of Christianity or my bumper sticker. I want to be a radical last days believer who is a person who is just drenched and dripping with the presence of God. Amen? If you don't want to be there, you can stay where you are, but I'm going that way. So overtaken, overtaken. You know, religion did nothing to satisfy these people in this ceremony. Jesus is saying, you need to be overtaken. 
by the presence of God. You look in the book of Acts, it was not until this moment in these 12 apostles' lives, which was 11 by then, in these men's lives and these women's lives that waited in the upper room, they were not really changed until they were overtaken by the presence of God, until they were immersed, baptized in the presence of God. Peter's personality radically changed. He was a good guy, loved the Lord, would have, you know, uh, cut guys' ears off for the Lord. I mean, he was, a, he was a, a follower when no one else followed. But he wasn't radically changed and empowered and transformed until he got lost in the overflow of God's presence, the overflow baptized into the presence of God, into the Spirit of God, filled to overflowing, fruitful. Ask us today, are we neglecting all the Spirit has to offer? Are we willing to be overtaken today? Because I don't know about you, but I need a daily renewal, but I also need dynamic power. I have the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm not satisfied with where I am in my life personally. I want to be deeper. I want to get lost in the presence of God. I believe God is just waiting for people who says, are you thirsty? Are you truly thirsty for all that God has? And He's ready to give it. He's always active and ready. Worship team, would you come back? This morning I opened with Isaiah 12, verse 2 and 3, which is the verse that these people would shout and sing when they took of this pool of Siloam and poured out this intermittent spring water, they would sing and shout this verse. They would say, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song. He's become my salvation. They would take of that intermittent spring water, and they would say, Therefore you will joyfully draw from the springs of salvation. And in that moment, Jesus said, But if you're truly thirsty, come to me. If you want to joyfully, joyously draw from the water of life, Jesus says, come to me. Keep coming to me. You know what happens in our life? And I'm guilty as anybody else. We get too full of ourselves instead of full of the Holy Spirit. It's really what it is. I'm too full of myself when I need to be full of the Holy Spirit. I found other things in my life that I try to use to keep me going. But Jesus is saying, if you're truly thirsty, come to me. I don't know about you. Are you dry in your religious ceremonies? I want more than religion today. I want spiritual life, spiritual blessing. And if you're thirsty, you'll be saying to yourself today, I need more of Jesus. I need more of Jesus. I'm not satisfied with where I am. I want more. I want more. Every head bow, every eye close. Thirst is the ardent, eager, famishing king, all-consuming craving and passion for my soul to be in union with the Holy Spirit. Ardent, eager, famishing, keen, all-consuming craving. And if you're at that place, Jesus says, come on and drink. Keep drinking from me. Believe on me. Your life will be overtaken, and I'll make you fruitful. You're here today, and you say, Pastor Heath, I want to drink of that life-giving water. I want to be saved in Jesus Christ. I want to come to the rock. And if I died today, I'm not sure where I would spend eternity. I want to have peace with God. 
I want to invite the Holy Spirit into my life. I want to invite Jesus to be Lord of my life. I want to be forgiven of all my sins and start a new day today. That's you. If you just raise your hand, I want to pray with you. Most important thing, thank you. Most important part of our day today. Eternal change. Jesus. Hallelujah. One more moment. Amen. Bible says if we that He is faithful and just to forgive us if we confess our sin before Him. And it means to repent of our sin, turn our way from the way that I was going, turn to Jesus, repent, and then confess and believe in Him. I will be saved. It's very simple, it's very easy, but it has to come from the heart. And it produces life change. And so if that's you today, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to pray a prayer like this from your heart. It's not the prayer that saves you, but it's your heart confession of faith. And it's your obedience to come to Jesus and make Him Lord and Master, Savior and Friend of your life. Give up control and come to Jesus. So Father God, I confess my sin before You. I repent. I turn away from my sin. God, I choose You. I ask and invite Your Holy Spirit into my life, Lord, that You would be Lord of my life, Savior, Master, and Friend. I need You, Jesus. Lord, I turn from my sin. Forgive me. I confess You as Savior of the world, the Son of God, who died on the third day for the atonement of my sin and is soon returning. And Father, from this day, if You'll help me, I commit my life to Your Word and to Your Spirit to be obedient with Your help that I might be fruitful. And Father, if I fail and I fall, if You'd help me, Pick myself back up again, God, to keep on going and to never turn back, never look away. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer or something similar to that, you truly meant it. Today you can be sure you are saved and no one can take that from you. But now it's time to come, church, and keep drinking. So if you'd stand here today with me.